This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You are listening to the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books with anyone and everyone. While listening to my podcast, you will hear author interviews, behind-the-scenes conversations about various aspects of the publishing world, theme discussions with other book lovers, and more. For more book recommendations and a complete list of all of my interviews, check out my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. In 2022, I would love for you to join my Patreon group. I offer at least two bonus episodes a month and a monthly advanced read and pre-publication author chat. For those on Facebook, I host a special Patreon Facebook group where we all chat books. Thanks so much to those who already participate, and I hope you will consider joining us. Today, I am chatting with Jane Rosen about a shoe story. Jane is an author and screenwriter whose debut novel, Nine Women, One Dress, has been translated into 10 languages. Her second book, Eliza Starts a Rumor, won the Zibby Award for Best Sophomore Novel. She and her husband have three daughters and live in New York City and on Fire Island. I hope you enjoy our conversation. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, Jane. How are you today? I'm well. How are you, Cindy? I am well as well, and I'm so glad you're here because I loved a shoe story, and I cannot wait to chat all about it. Thank you. Well, as we start out, why don't you give me a quick synopsis of a shoe story for those that won't have read it yet? Well, I would give my normal synopsis, but yesterday I got the most delicious review from this place called Everything Zoomer, so I'm just going to read to you. She wrote, the reviewer wrote, this charmer unexpectedly disarmed my baseline cynicism as Esme dog sits for a high-powered woman with a carry-worthy walk-in closet. Each chapter takes her on an excursion around New York in a different pair of designer shoes. Underneath the author's fabulous description of fabulous footwear is a heartwarming story about second chances at life and love brought about by the unlikely cross-generational friendship between Esme, whose promising career was derailed by years of caring for her father, and a non-generian, Cy, the locally famous founder of a legendary New York deli. That is a wonderful review. I know. I love it. Well, I love that too. Well, this is a very personal story for you. A number of the things in the book are things you pulled from your own life, correct? It is correct, yes. Well, can we talk a little bit about that? Well, the main thing that I pulled is the story of Sai, who is a combination of a man I know from Fire Island named Saul Zabar, who is the owner of Zabar's, the legendary food market on the Upper West Side of New York, 
But the real personal part of it is that the character is also based on my dad, his story about going through World War II, and his story about meeting my mother. So his actual personality, Sai, in the book is not based on my dad, but his journey is. And my dad passed away when I was 11. So tracing this journey, especially his, the journey of a young kid, 17 years old, who signed up for the Coast Guard and actually invaded Normandy was just beyond uh, thrilling and just really moving and made me feel closer to him because it's not anything we ever discussed. I mean, men don't really discuss war to begin with. And as I said, I was 11 when he passed. So it was just a great experience for me. I bet that did bring you closer to him and understand some of what he went through. It did. And it just blows my mind. I took his, the boat number of his, uh, it's called the LC-183. And I traced the route. And then I found letters that he wrote to his mother. And I even took some of the exact words, you know, in the book came right from the letters. And just, you know, when you write something, you picture how it's going in, in your mind and to just be in his shoes so much while I was writing this was pretty remarkable. I bet it was. And I loved your story about the other individual soul that also shows up in size personality. My mother died last year, and my father has been particularly lonely. And both my sister and I live here, and our families live here. So we see him daily, and he's still lonely. And I've thought so much about these poor souls who don't have family nearby and who are on their own and don't have anything to fill their days. And I guess I just really loved Sai as I was reading your book. And I love this story between Esme and Sai because I do think there is chronic loneliness for older people. There is. And for years, my children and I volunteered for an organization called DeRote. And I think there are many organizations like this in the country, but this is in New York City, where we visited uh, elderly people. And the meanings, I mean, as much as they helped the people we visited, they also just gave us so much uh, hope and joy. And, and we just felt great whenever we did it. And it's a real, loneliness is a real thing among the elderly, even in a city like New York, where you could really talk to anybody anywhere. <laughs> it's, it's a problem. And it's a shame because old people have so much to share and people just write them off. I think that's exactly right. And there have been a number of stories about these intergenerational relationships or about individuals who are older who have fabulous stories that need to be told. And I just love that that seems to be something that's showing up in fiction more often now. I totally agree. It's a great trope, if you want to call it a trope. It is. I agree completely. And I always am drawn to those types of stories. You mentioned before that the benefit is on both sides. And clearly, with the relationship with Esme and Sai, I think she benefited every bit as much as he did, if not even more. Absolutely. So I loved that. Now let's get to the fun part, the shoes. (laughs) You must have a very large passion for shoes. I I do and I don't. Yes, I love shoes, but I think as I get older and my feet age (laughs) and with COVID, I just don't seem to wear them as much. But shoes are something that women just love and, and they spend more money than they should on and they maybe pain themselves by wearing them. And it's an interesting thing. I mean, men's shoes are so boring and women really get to express themselves with their feet. I love it. I do too. And I loved the format. That was one of the things that really stuck with me long after I read your book. Each chapter begins with a heading that has a particular shoe. And I'm not really a shoe gal, so I had to go look a lot of them up, which was a ton of fun as well. But I love that each chapter has the shoe attached to it. And then 
Esme is kind of trying on a different aspect of her life or seeking out different things in each chapter. Did you really have to work to match the shoe up with what she was going through? The whole shoe situation (laughs) became uh, bordering on obsession. But (laughs) when I really got down to the nitty gritty of it, I actually had COVID. So I was lying in my bed for like a week, you know, milking it for every second I could. And (laughs) I um, started really getting into the shoe research. And since the book is set before COVID, it's 2016. So it was, I had to actually make sure that all these shoes were available in 2016. And then when I really thought about it, like, where is she going? What would she wear? I wanted very much to give, there are certain shoes that are classics that any real true shoe lover beyond my capacity for shoes, like people that are really, really obsessed, they like aspire to have certain shoes. And I made sure to include them all in the book. You know, there's the tribute, the YSL tribute, there's the Valentino rock stud and the Chanel two-tone ballerina flat. These are shoes that, and obviously the red bottom shoe, you know, and the Louboutin and the Jimmy Choo. These are shoes that people really aspire to own, like to collect. So it was important for me to get those all in. And yes, I did sit and think, well, she's going here. What would she wear? Or how does she want to feel? You know, like when she went to the Mercer Kitchen, she wanted to elevate her outfit, you know, and to feel like she belonged and to feel probably a little sexy. So it was all about, you know, thinking about like, what would she put on? If, or what would you put on if you had an entire closet full of designer shoes? Matching the shoe with the moment. Exactly. Because you even have Converse and Crocs. So you really do have a wide spectrum of shoes. Very, a very wide spectrum. And it was very fun. There's one little brief chapter where she wears a different shoe. She's an, she's an art history buff, so she wears a different shoe to go with her favorite painting at each of the New York museums, and that was fun. So that had to be so much fun researching the shoes, and then, as you said, making sure that the shoes had been created by 2016. Yes, yes. It's interesting. There was one pair of shoes in the book that were not created by 2016, a designer named Jessica Rich. She just started out... I think in 2017, and I really, like when I was looking through all the shoe designers, there were very few women and there were even fewer women of color. And I really wanted to feature someone wonderful who was a woman of color. So I looked up Jessica Rich's shoes and I decided to just make an exception for that, you know, one designer. And she ended up being a big supporter of the book and giving a pre-order discount. And she follows me now and she's wonderful. So that was my only post-2016. And I think people do that all the time. I mean, you see that a lot in historical fiction where the timeline will be shifted a little bit or something would have happened in like 1940, but they have it happen in 1938 for purposes of the story. So certainly moving a shoe up a little bit is not going to cause a lot of drama. I would think. I mean, I don't know who I thought was going to read the book and go through every shoe and say, wait, this was not in 2016. What was Jane Rosen thinking? There's (laughs) always someone though, Cindy, I promise. (laughs) I always tell this story. I used to work at a mystery bookstore here in Houston. We had one customer who would come to author events and he would come with these manila envelopes and he would always give them to the author and nobody knew what was in them and everybody was kind of curious. And one night we all went to dinner afterwards with one of the authors who'd received the envelope. It was three pages, single spaced of things that he felt were not correct in the book. <gasps> oh. so. I think you are exactly right that there are people who sadly make it their mission 
to go into books and say, well, this isn't right. This isn't right. And I thought, what in the world? So then from then on, they kind of like shut that down. They would just get the envelope and put it away. But I was like, really? That's what you're going to focus on? I would love one of those envelopes, although they would stick in my side. Like yeah. the other day I saw someone said something like, why, you know how they go to, uh, Esme goes with Zach to the, um, that ball, you know, the right. charity ball. Someone said something about it starting at six o'clock. And I was so upset. I'm like, oh, I should have started at six o'clock. Like I totally took it in. It's hard not to have those things stick with you instead of all of the positive acclaim. So that's why I just thought, hmm, three pages of all these little notes about things that they thought could be different. I'm always just so amazed that anyone is able to write a book. I could never do that. So I certainly am not going to sit here and nitpick somebody else's story to death. That's very nice of you. (laughs) How about you? What are your favorite pair of shoes? My favorite, favorite pair of shoes. Oh, I would say like, if you had to ask my most special pair of shoes, I would kind of say my first heel, which my mom was pretty strict about things like heels. She wasn't strict about other things, but heels she was strict about. And it was like this pair of clogs in the seventh grade or the sixth grade, these blue suede clogs that I thought at the time had a big, chunky heel. And then years later, I had this pair of Prada slip-ons and I went to a cocktail party in Fire Island and a dog ate them up. Like I kicked them off and a dog ate them. And I brought them to this shoemaker in the city who, who is really who the character is based on in the book, Mrs. Berger. And her name was Mrs. Berger, actually. How she fixed these shoes to this day, I don't know. But she did. They looked good as new. And it was kind of a miracle. So I really loved those shoes. And now they brought me to Mrs. Berger. Another thing from your real life that ended up in the book. Yes. Yes. Esme focuses on the past a lot and what could have been. Do you do that or do you look forward? I do not focus on the past. I um I very much don't focus on the past, actually, because I don't really think there's much of a point. And I know she does, but I think she's just coming out of that trauma. And I'm hoping that she will turn things around and not do that. It's also, it's also like part of her upbringing and the things that, if, you know, when people read the book that they'll see that actually makes her do that. It's like a standard, um, I don't want to give anything away, but the way she was brought up, I think had a lot to do with how she thinks of life and the way she controls things and is a big planner. A lot of that has to do with like her relationship with her parents and stuff. I think that's exactly right. I think we all have those souvenirs or scars or whatever we want to call them from the way our family handled things. As the story progresses, she understands that she has to come to terms with certain things, again, no spoilers, and starts to look forward more. But I think it's an interesting idea, and I think that a lot of people do that. A lot of people look back and think, if just this one thing had gone differently, or if I had done something different at this time period, and I always try to tell my kids when they're moving forward and things maybe don't go the exact way they want it to, that eventually they're going to be so glad that that thing didn't go the way they wanted it to, that things work out like they should, and you just have to give it time. Yes. I mean, who's to say what what path is better. You don't really know, right? And I think with Esme, I think she really had to learn to just look forward. And I think she was trying to reconcile what she had wanted to happen with what did happen. And sometimes it's hard to let go. 
And so once she was able, with size help and some of the other people she met, to really look forward and realize, I can't keep worrying about what didn't happen. I need to make my own life going forward. Yes. And, the, and, and I find, I mean, we all have friends or family members that really do dwell on what could have been in the past. And I always, my advice is always, it's just useless. Just keep going. I loved The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. Did you read that book? I didn't. It's on my TBR along with so many other wonderful books. Well, to me, it's the perfect example of that because in a very small nutshell, she looks back on all these different things that she regrets. And each time she's able to go into a life where that one thing was still existing or she could change it the way she wanted. And then everything else is all wonky or somebody that she loved very much is no longer there or her sister, you know, they're, they're no longer close. And so I think it's a really great way to look at that if you looked back and wished a particular choice you made had gone differently, who knows whatever else would also have changed. And that if you like your life and most of what's in it, then you would have probably given up a lot of that if you'd gone in a different direction. Interesting. Oh, and now I really want to read it. That sounds great. It, it is great. But it made me think a lot of your book as well when she's looking back because I was like, oh, no, no, look forward. You don't want to worry about these things. But she does get there. And mm -hmm. again, no spoilers. Yeah, she gets there within 28 days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. She has a very limited window. <laughs> Did you always know how it was going to end and how you would get there? Or do you write as you go? I, I make an outline, a very like kind of chapter-based loose outline so that I know I have the beginning and the middle and the end. And then I basically never look at it again, but I do have to know where I'm going. You know, how I get there might be a little different and it may change a lot along the way, but I need to have everything kind of spelled out for me just to know that it's, you know, it has an end. I mean, imagine if you get to the middle and you're like, uh-oh, I have no idea where this is going. No, absolutely. And it's amazing to me that some people can do that. And there's such a wide range. You know, there are people who will literally outline the entire book. There are people who will do what you say, give it kind of a structure. And then there are some people who just sit down and write. I, I would have the hardest time sitting down and writing. I would need to have it all mapped out. Yeah. I mean, I'm not one of those people that looks at the outline again. I really don't. And I kind of do just sit down and write. But I know it's, I know it's there, you know. Absolutely. And you've given thought to the beginning, the middle, and the end. Very much so. So who was the hardest character to write and who was the easiest? I think that Esme was the hardest character to write because I had to make her, you know, multidimensional in a different way than I would with Sai. You know, Sai has his shtick and Esme, there's just so many layers to everything she's gone through. And I, you know, I wanted to give her like the full, the full picture. So I'd say Esme. I think that Zach and Liam... Yes, I had to give them characteristics that differentiated themselves to, you know, each other. But basically, Esme has, is more, you know, complicated. As you're writing, do your characters speak to you or do you just write what you think they're going to say? So many times authors will say to me, they told me what I needed to write about them. No one speaks to me, but <laughs> a little strange, but no, I um. I do feel very close to my characters I, when I'm writing. I definitely feel like I know them and they're a part of my life. There are many, many times when I'm writing where something comes back later on that is so perfect that you can't believe that you didn't plan it out. And that amazes me. And I don't know even know where those little tidbits come from. But every time it happens, I'm always like, wow, that worked out. So it's percolating in your brain and your subconscious and it comes out that way. That's really cool. 
Yeah, I think that sums it up well, yes. Well, what about the title and the cover? It was originally called The August of Esme Nash, which I kind of like also. It's called that for a long time. And then we started thinking about how shoes were such a big part of the book. And we just really wanted to go down that road of celebrating shoes. And it was a good idea because in terms of marketing, like we are doing things, Nordstrom hosted my um, book release event, which was amazingly fun and wonderful right on the shoe floor. Louboutin is doing an event for me in August, partnering up with Stand Up to Cancer, a charity event. Ferragamo is doing events. It's It's been amazing how the shoe companies have taken hold of the book. Nine West has been a huge supporter. And as I said before, Jessica Rich. So the idea of bringing shoes to the cover and to the forefront of the book has been great, very different and fun. The cover itself looked a lot different. It was funny. It was um, the print looked the same and the little city that is on the bottom looked the same, but the shoes were, the whole cover was pastel and the shoes were kind of, I don't want to say like granny like, but they weren't very hip, like the ones in the book. And my daughter's an artist. And I said to her, could you please just fit, mock this up for me a little bit? And I said, I wish it was turquoise and I wish the shoes in the book were in it. And she actually hung a Louboutin off the O and changed the color to turquoise. And I presented it to them and said, could you do something more like this? And the artist just grabbed onto it and did a fabulous job. Well, I love the way the shoes are incorporated into the title. And then those same shoes show up throughout the book. I think they're on the title page in various places. Mm -hmm. The cover has a Nine West, the Louboutin, the Rock Stud, and um, the Manolo, Manolo Blanc. Okay, so you're way better at all of that than I am. I recognize the Louboutin. I can never say it. Louboutin? Is that how how you say it? Actually, I had to call all of the shoe designers stores before they did the audio book and ask how to pronounce it and then write it out phonetically and send it to them. <laughs> so I'm very bad at these, but it's actually Louboutin, Louboutin, like that, Louboutin. Louboutin. I recognize the Louboutin, and now I know how to say that, but I did not know the others. So, and that, I think that's so much fun that all these shoe companies have partnered with you. I saw, I mean, we follow each other on Instagram. So I saw your book release in Nordstrom and I thought, how fun, I wish I'd been there and I could have gone. Oh, I wish so too. It was very fun and they did a fabulous job. And I think it's just a celebration of shoes. So why not? You know? Absolutely. I think it's so much fun that marketing is getting more and more creative like that. Me too. Me too. I I just was like, wow, this works. It's fun. Well, what about what you have read recently that you really liked? What have I read recently? I've been reading so much. I'm in the middle of the Ellen Hildebrand book. Hotel Nantucket, and I am loving it. She actually chose me for her July book. She does this literati book club, and she chose me. I've never met her. I'm a fan of hers, but she's actually a fan of mine. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, you are. And she she's the blurb on your book cover, because then it says, count me as Jane L. Rosen's biggest fan. Yes, and I, I just adore her, and I've never met her, but she just took to me. Last year, I was in the post- for Eliza Starts a Rumor, or some, maybe it was two years ago already, who knows, COVID, everything just blurs. I was thrown out of this Upper East Side mothers group that was going to do a book club with me. And the moderator, you know, Eliza Starts a Rumor was about a mom's group. And the moderator of this Upper East Side group tossed me from the group. Yes, she didn't like the way the Upper East Side moms were portrayed in the book. 
Okay, that's hilarious. Hilarious, right? So she literally, I go on one day, already 80 women had signed up and bought the book through this group. And I go on to write something and I'm, where am I? I can't get in. I can't get in. What's going on here? I reach out to the woman. Cindy, she is mad. (laughs) She's angry. She's everything you could think of. And suddenly she's like, we're not doing it. You're out. And it ended up on page six in the post. Okay. That is the greatest story. That is hilarious. I can't believe she booted you and didn't even tell you she booted you. Because then of course you're going to reach out to her and be like, why can't I get in anymore? Okay, that's so funny. And it ended up on page six. You're like, thank you. And then of course, probably it sold a bunch more of your books. Exactly. And a bunch of authors, you know, reached out after that. Like, I can't believe what happened to you. Send me your book, which was great because during COVID, it was quite hard to sell books. You know, it was my second book and people didn't really know of me. My first book was four years before that. And it was very helpful. And they asked me for a quote in the post. I said something about, if you can't joke about, you know, Amy's bags on the Upper East Side, where can you or something? Okay, I love that story. And I have read Nine Women, One Dress, and I loved it. I have not read Eliza Starts a Rumor, but clearly I need to because it caused a lot of drama. It's a good one. It's much <laughs> different than Nine Women and Shoe Story. Okay, that's a great story. So what else have you read recently that you really liked? What have I read? I just started Meant to Be Mine by Hannah Orenstein which seems like it's going to be great. My next up is In Her Boots by KJ Dell, the one who wrote the ch- woman who wrote The Chicken Sisters. Yes. Yes, I'm looking forward to that. What else? I I just read Celeste Ng's first book. I'd never read that before and I loved it. And um yeah, I'm just reading constantly. My I I wish I could just go into a bubble somewhere and read everything that I want to read because there's just so much. That's what happens with me too. And they just pile up everywhere. And I think, oh, all eight of these books should be my next read. It's hard. There's just so many good books out there. Yes. You should start like throwing darts or something and just (laughs) see where it lands. Exactly. I'm a huge mood reader. So that does help me a little bit because sometimes I'm in the mood for a thriller and sometimes I want something lighter and sometimes I want something darker. So that does help me narrow a bit sometimes. It's nice for me right now because I'm not researching anything when I'm researching I have to like, I get full on into reading books about the subject and watching movies about the subject, you know, but now I'm just kind of reading whatever I want. Which has to be nice. Yes. I did just get asked to blurb a new book that looks great. So I'll have to, that's going to have to cut off everything else. Do you enjoy getting asked to blurb? I, I do, except that I never say no, because I remember how hard it was when I wrote my first book to get people to blurb when you're just an unknown So sometimes I, you know, overcommit. That has to be hard, but it definitely seems like blurbs are still a very large part of the publishing process. So that's nice that you are willing to put your time into it. Yeah, I am. I mean, because, you know, women supporting women, it's important. It absolutely is. Well, this has been delightful and I have loved talking to you and I loved your book and I can't wait for everybody else to read a shoe story as well. Thank you, Cindy. I hope everyone does and I hope everyone enjoys it. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. 
tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From A Page. Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. Tell all of your friends about the show and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.